0: I-V-M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Saksashila Institution. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru,
1: and we like to bring fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat.
0: Hello and welcome to All Things Policy. I'm Aditya Parikh. The situation in Afghanistan is important for the balance of power in the world. The West Asian country has long been called the graveyard of empires. The British Empire, Soviet Union, NATO all saw massive casualties during their interventions. And now, with the exit of the US forces from Afghanistan, the Ashraf Ghani government collapsed within days and the Taliban has taken over. In the vacuum of great power influence, Both China and Russia are expected to play a crucial role. To discuss Russia's policy in Afghanistan, I have with me today my co-host Rituraj and our guest, Ivan Krishish. Welcome, Ivan. Happy to be here. Ivan is a junior researcher at the University of Tartu in Estonia and peace fellow at the Åland Peace Institute. His research focuses on the North Caucasus and Russia. So to start with, Ivan What are Russia's key interests in Afghanistan, which, despite who is in control, will need securing? And to secure them, what kind of investment is the Russian government willing to make now that there's a vacuum left behind by the U.S. and its allies? So, Russia's
2: primary interest in Afghanistan has been for a long time to prevent the instability that the civil conflicts and the long-term war in Afghanistan has produced. To prevent this instability to go north. Russia is very close to Central Asia and has many connections to this region. So any any threats that come from Afghanistan and reach Central Asia can very well reach Russia proper, or Russia itself, I mean. In the 1990s, this threat mostly came in the form of civil war and high-intensity conflict Moving from Afghanistan to Tajikistan and then to the unstable Foygana Valley. Today, this instability mostly threatens Russia because it offers a a space for transnational terrorist organizations, such as the Islamic State, to use it as a base from where to strike Russia proper, or Russia itself, I mean. And so this has been a persistent interest of, uh, of Russia in Central Asia. Regarding the means, Russia has been also quite consistent in, in the means it deploys to pursue its Afghanistan policy. Crucially, it deploys its military in Tajikistan to protect the Tajik-Afghan border. And it has also engaged in large, large-scale large military cooperation with Uzbekistan, especially in, in recent days around the time of the Taliban takeover. And even in the 1990s, there was cooperation also with Turkmenistan on this matter. But less so today. And uh, I don't, I think this, these two, parallel to, to military force, uh, border protection, there's also diplomacy. Russia has activated its diplomatic networks a number of times to, to cooperate with other countries regarding Afghanistan. In the 1990s, Russia was part of the international coalition against the Taliban, with which it cooperated with uh, the US, with Iran, with India, and other countries to supply the the Northern Alliance against the Taliban, and it has also used diplomatic means to connect and engage with parties in Afghanistan itself. Most recently, it has made the Taliban its main partner on the ground in Afghanistan, but it has also had uh, relations with the Afghanistan government and with other other
0: parties in the conflict. Coming to the status of the Taliban, it remains an outlawed organization in Russia itself. However, uh, we've seen some willingness for engagement with Taliban, even if only inside and in context of Afghanistan. How will this play out in the medium to long term? I think when it comes
2: to the medium and long term, this will very much depend on on how the debates inside Russia go about Russia's cooperation with the Taliban. As it is known, Russia has many Russian diplomats and officials, and even Putin himself, have hinted the prospect of cooperating with the Taliban on at least a couple of areas. I think when it comes to the medium and long term, several things can, can shape the opinion of, of the Kremlin and in, in, against the Taliban. For instance, if the Taliban proves unable to consolidate its power in Afghanistan, thus leading to new instability in the country or fails in its role as a counter-terrorism force against the, uh, the Islamic State, then Russia could very well withdraw its qualified support to the, to the Taliban. So, there's a big measure of pragmatism there. Right now, uh, now speaking about the status more, more narrowly, this, the, the, the status discussion is also subordinate to, to this security matter and also to the international reaction to to the Taliban takeover. I think Russia will not be a pioneer in recognizing the Taliban. I think Russia would, in fact, prefer not to be early in recognizing the Taliban because Russia has fashioned for itself a reputation of being a reliable partner against terrorist organizations, especially against the Islamic State, but really against any terrorist force that threatens an established legitimate order. So being quick to recognize the Taliban would undermine this reputation and in turn undermine at least some strategic initiatives that Russia has. So it's an awkward moment for Russia's foreign policy and I expect this to, to remain. So I expect cooperation with the Taliban to remain in this
0: gray area for, for the coming months. Interesting. Let's see what happens. Shifting gears a bit, talking recently, in your opinion, does Russia see India's role in Afghanistan as crucial? This is with the background of some concerns that in some circles that during some talks, Russia could have included India at the table, but for some reason did not. So I think Russia at the moment
2: does not see India as a potential key partner in Afghanistan. Uh, Most of all, because in my understanding, Russia and India see very differently the juncture in Afghanistan. Moscow has been very pragmatic about the Taliban takeover and very, very much inclined to, to see the Taliban as a potential means to its, to, to its ends in, in Afghanistan, whereas India does not, or, or at least. So there is no, no common basis to operate for the two to operate together. This could change in the future, however, if Russia... Shifts its position towards the Taliban from being a pragmatic facilitator of the Taliban to uh, a more tepid position towards the group or becoming outright opposed to the Taliban. And there, there, there might be a closer overlap and deeper cooperation. And there's also the, the China factor. Because China, of, of, of many of the external actors, China has... Demonstrated a degree of interest in, in cooperating with the Taliban, perhaps even more so than, than Russia. So, not I don't want to speculate too much, but I think when it comes to cooperating with India, the, the China factor might
0: also play out uh, there. Indeed. So, as we know, China seems to be the first country to have made a sort of aid deal with the Taliban regime. With that, to uh, if I recall correctly, thirty-one million dollars worth of humanitarian aid. So let's see what kind of engagement China gets up. But I would do, you know, again, want to switch gears. And coming to the gray zone, Taliban lacks both resources and technical expertise to operate, repair, and put into service again certain equipment and aircraft left behind by both the Afghan forces and Western coalition forces. So certain alleged Mercenary groups have a tendency to fill such vacuums of uh, operational expertise around the world in uh, these uh, uh, perpetual wars. So what are the chances that uh, certain Eastern European private military groups can be up to this task?
2: So regarding the Taliban's uh, technical capabilities, I cannot really comment much about it. In my understanding, indeed, the Taliban does not have access to very sophisticated expertise or military equipment or defense systems and, and such things. But at the same time, the Taliban has demonstrated the technical ability to field some of the equipment that the coalition forces left, left behind. So I think if I were to guess, I think the Taliban would not be very inclined to welcome outside forces to to give them assistance. I think they would very much like to maintain full control of, of their armed branch one area where i could see some outside help is in mining operations and here when it comes to the uh, to this eastern european private military, military company I, I think here we're we're talking about the wagner group which is a, a group that's known to be based in russia to recruit russians and other eastern europeans and that nonetheless is illegal or in a gray zone, so to speak, in, in, in Russia itself. It is also known to, to operate abroad and frequently to overlap with defense and security interests of Moscow in a way that nonetheless allows some, some space for plausible deniability. I think this group, I do not expect Magna to operate in Afghanistan in the short term. And I think one area where it could ac- actually operate is in mining because Wagner has manned and operated mines in in other places, such as in in Africa. And there it it, it lends itself not only to operate the mines, but also to secure them and to uh, uh, facilitate their operations. So this could be an area where Wagner could become active in Afghanistan. Nevertheless, I think the political element of recognition and the status will come first before any such move is made
0: by Wagner or any other Russia-connected, so to speak, private military company. Fascinating. And the mining angle is really something that has been eye-opening for me. So I'll have to thank you for that thought. Shifting gears again, about one of your uh, research focuses, so about the Caucasus, which is one of your research focuses. Uh, areas and uh, the ethnic minority regions inside the Russian Federation. So how are places like uh, Chechnya and Dagestan reacting to the events in Afghanistan below the surface? Uh, This is an excellent question, one that
1: I
2: have struggled to answer for myself. Part of the reason uh, why I have struggled is that uh, there's yet to be good polling on the matter in the North Caucasus. And at the same time, there's a kind of, External matters tend not to be uh, discussed uh, a lot by publicly, at least, by uh, North Caucasus elites and political actors. The one exception, of course, is Ramsam Kadyrov, the head of the of the Chechen Republic, who is known abroad for his despotic rule and uh, heavy-handed uh, security measures. He is well known to be one of the few governors in Russia to, to be outspoken about international matters. Of course, he has expressed views about Afghanistan. I want to, point, I want to highlight two, two points that he has made. One is that he regards the Taliban as a puppet of the U.S., which strikes immediately as paradoxical. I, I believe that the reason why he sees the Taliban in this way is because the Taliban espouses does not espouse a form of Islam that can can be called, from a North Caucasus perspective, traditional. And Kadegov has fashioned himself as a defender of traditional Islam, as opposed to uh, modernist innovations, which in the North Caucasus context means what is called Wahhabism, which really is a conflation of extremist interpretations of Islam and Salafism. So this is this is I believe one reason why Kadeyev is not inclined to to any, it's very vocal on his opposition to the Taliban. And the other thing that he has said, and it's kind of a big statement he made around the time of the Taliban takeover, is that Afghanistan neighbors should prepare for the worst, which goes in almost diametrically opposed perspective than the Russian government. Beyond this, I have not detected anything else coming from the North Caucasus. There have been some analysts that suggest that in in the North Caucasus, the Taliban takeover may entice people to uh, join extremist organizations and may encourage more radicalization in Russia. But on the other hand, I have seen very little evidence that there are many Russian speakers, either from Russia or Central Asia, joining the Taliban or fighting in, in Afghanistan. Other than with i with the Islamic State group. Interesting.
0: So on that note, folks, we'll take a small break. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, folks. We're discussing Russian approach to post-U.S. Afghanistan. Uh, Rutaraj, yes,
1: yes. I would like to take this question. Uh, hi, Ivan. Uh, this question is sort of related to your last answer. It deals; it, it, it is in regard to a, a influence of Islamic fundamentalism in certain provinces of Russia. As you, as you, as you mentioned that I mean, this was new to me. That the reaction is slightly uh, different than what uh, the what we had expected. But yet, the influence of funda- Islamic fundamentalism is still a tangible threat to Russia. But as well as Russia, China is also dealing with certain concerns regarding this. So do you have any idea whether China and Russia are, are directly uh, trying to cooperate in this regard? Because as both of these are uh, stakeholders currently and seem to be the major stakeholders in Afghanistan, this issue is bound to come up sooner or later. Definitely. I think that Russia and China
2: are definitely seeing eye to eye when it comes to, to terrorism in 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 Afghanistan. I think the, the strongest evidence we have of that is the thirty August United Nations Security Council resolution where Russia and China opposed this resolution on Afghanistan and Russia gave their and I think the, the Russian rationale for the opposition is very telling about the degree to which Russia and China understand each other on matters of terrorism in uh, and transnational terrorism in Afghanistan. So, in the rationale for why Russia opposed this resolution, the Russian representative mentioned that the resolution does not mention ISIS, or Islamic State rather, and the East Turkestan independence movement, if, if I'm correct, is named, ETIM. Now, it is, it, in a sense, it makes sense that Russia would mention the Islamic State, because Russia has seen the Islamic State as a threat for, for a long time. But then, why... Why would it mention the Turkestan movement? Why, why it, 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 In my understanding, it has never really targeted, and this, this group has never targeted anyone in, inside Russia. At, and at the same time, the, the Chinese representative did not mention this Turkestan Islamist movement and said only spoke about the, the importance of non interference. So it is well known that China and Russia, in their uh, UN Security Council votes, they coordinate in a way that Russia takes a more hawkish perspective on the resolutions and China falls back on its non-interference principle. So I think that's very much what was at play on 30th of August. And I think this can be taken as evidence that Russia and China understand each other when it comes to these groups in, in Afghanistan.
1: Interesting, interesting. So the next question was actually going to be my last question, but it makes uh, sense for me to ask my question in this context because it is related to your answer. This is actually a tweet by a Kabulov and you had retweeted it and it had caught my attention. And the tweet said that the Taliban has learned well not to try and promote their ideology abroad. So I just was curious that what what was the context of this and what is actually the, is there a hidden meaning between this tweet or is it referring to some tacit agreement between the Taliban and Russia that Taliban is not going to influence the central republics former other Central Asian countries now? Or is there something else that we are missing?
2: Certainly. I mean, it's, it's a very interesting declaration, a very interesting statement by the the. Russia's presidential envoy to, to Afghanistan. And I want to give an answer, but there's there's one, one more point I wanted to mention about Russia and China that uh, I would be remiss to, to leave out, which is the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which includes China and uh, Russia, among many other partners. And it's an organization that is directed against so-called three evils of terrorism, separatism, and extremism. And I think there's evidence that uh, this Russia-China understanding on, on Afghanistan is also will also play out with the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. So I just wanted to make sure that's not uh, left out of, of that discussion. So about the, the tweet of, of uh, Kabulov, I think kind of the context is, this was a, a statement made uh, short, not too long after the Taliban takeover. And I think this statement is goes along the lines of Moscow's Signaling of, that they trust the Taliban. And I, I, I emphasize that this is more a matter of signaling because whether Russia actually trusts the Taliban is hard to tell. And I think actually behind the scenes, they don't, or much less so than it may appear. But Russia has signaled to the, to the world and to the Taliban that they trust them. And I think it's, it's a matter of, it's a move to try to build some sort of uh, rapport and establish. Uh, a degree of trust between the two of them, between Russia and the Taliban. So I think statements like this one reflect this Russian intention to to, to build a degree of trust between Moscow and the Taliban. But when it comes to the substance of the declaration about the promotion of whether the Taliban would promote extremism in Central Asia, I think there indeed, I think that's actually quite quite sincere in the sense that I don't I don't believe that Russia sees the Taliban as an exporter of radical ideology to Central Asia. But at the same time, of course, the takeover itself may, may play out in, in radicalizing narratives in Central Asia and Russia itself. So it's a complex picture.
1: Right, right. It's definitely going to be a tight walk. I, my last question, I'll, again, related to this. the sense, Do we have any insight into what the domestic reaction has been? This is the Russian domestic reaction to... The Russian government actively engaging with Taliban. But Taliban this time is trying hard to portray itself as a less hardline itself, with certain reforms in education and other sectors from it. Yet there have been instances of reprisal killings and suicide attacks. So is how, how does Russia plan to you know just manage this optically for its domestic audience as well as the Western audience if if required?
2: Uh, I. I- I, I do not know that well about the domestic audience. I think there, uh, as it tends to be, foreign policy is, not, is treated as a form of... It's not in the public discussion, simply. In in the sense that the public discussion is not expected to influence foreign policy, direct or influence or shape it uh, in a profound manner. But when it comes to international audiences, I think there, what we have seen is a a very a path that Russia has used many times before in its more questionable engagements abroad. I've seen two rhetorical strategies that uh, Russian diplomats have been been using when it comes to their engagement with the Taliban. One is a well-known strategy, so to speak, of whataboutism, that some call that way, whataboutism, uh, which is to say, what about it? What about if Russia engages the Taliban? The West engages all kinds of order terrible dictatorial leaders and uh, movements and so on. So in a way to trivialize it, to, to say that it's, it, this is a common feature of international relations. So I, I expect that to remain in the diplomatic toolkit when it comes to uh, Russia's engagements with the Taliban. The other element that I think has actually been more prominently featured in, in, the, in this case is the argument about uh, sovereignty. And this has actually been espoused by Putin himself on his uh, statements on the 20th of August, the first time that he commented about the Taliban takeover. He, He said two very important things. One was that the world must proceed in Afghanistan from the reality that the Taliban has taken over the country, which was in a way already a statement of de facto recognition. And the other one was that the failure of the International coalition stemmed from the world's inclination and disposition to impose its values on Afghanistan. So, in a way, this this line of kind of justifying engagement with the Taliban or the, or stems from this idea of sovereignty, of rather traditional idea of sovereignty that of uh, as a form of non-interference in domestic matters. And in the ca- in this case, in particular, I think it's very revealing of this conservative identity in, of Russia's politics in general, and in particular of its foreign policy and uh, its legitimist a- approach to international relations. In this case, very much with this conservative idea that international, that not only there should be no meddling in the domestic politics of other countries, but that there should be no, that foreign policy should not be a progressive force in the sense of going against established traditional Ways that the country has, so I think it, it's a very it's a rhetorical strategy that's very rooted in the in the state ideology or the ideology of the occupiers of the Kremlin regarding domestic and
0: international politics. Intriguing. So it goes to show that to, uh, Russia's policy is in fact uh, multifaceted, and uh, you just can't take it on face value. There has to be some study of it. So thank you for joining us for this discussion today. Uh, we deeply thank you. Thank you, uh, Rituraj, for joining me today. And thank you for having me. Okay. On that note, folks, we'll call it a wrap. If you liked today's discussion, please do check out all past and future episodes of All Things Policy. If you liked our
1: show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM Podcast app, ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our website takshashila.org.in.